Welcome to She Grows. We're here to walk through topics that we all deal with in everyday life. I'm Danielle Doss. And I'm Jen Matthews. And we are here to arm you with the hope and peace that comes straight from the gospel. We're going to leave out the fluff and chase down the truth. So whether you're driving, doing laundry, working out, we hope you find truth and encouragement. Let's grow together. Today, we're going to be listening to the message that Becca Poe brought to us at our She Lingers gathering. It is a fantastic message, and we can't wait for you to hear it. We had some pretty major technical difficulties that night and struggled with our audio file, but God has redeemed so much of it. But because we love to do everything with excellence, we wanted to let you know ahead of time that the first three and a half minutes are a little bit of a struggle. You will know that it is not our typical audio quality, but if you will stick through those first three and a half minutes, it will pop into audio perfection and will be so much easier to concentrate on. So stick with us and let's dig in. So worship, just a little bit weighty, just a hair weighty to talk about. The thing is, is that we talk a lot about praise and worship, right? And for me, the way that I differentiate the two is that praise is like an equal opportunity situation, right? Like we hear people all throughout scripture and they're praising God and it's just this sound. It's just this declaration. It's just a response. It's crazy. It's equal opportunity. But worship, worship is different. We hear the heart of God and how he speaks about it. And it's an intimate shift that we hear when we're talking through the lens of worship. So to speak on it in a way where honestly, now we might get up here and lead worship all the time, but I'm going to tell you, we lean in real heavy to grace. (laughs) We lean in real heavy to this is vast. And this is bigger than anything we're going to ever fully understand. And I have no idea what every single person is carrying or where they are in their surrender to the Lord and their sanctification. But God, just be glorified in something that we do here today. With that being said, I was really hoping to give you like a really nice like ABC, one, two, three, fill in the blank type A, people will love me message about worship. (laughs) Uh, But that I don't really feel like is how it's going to land because... When we hear Jesus talk about worship, he he says this thing. He says that his father is seeking true worshipers. And that distinction with true makes me think that it can't be this outline of steps that we take in order for it to be something that actually moves the heart of God. So my hope, and if we're talking about like what the point of tonight is in the first place, is that we are all just empowered and really strengthened in the idea That Jesus Christ, through his salvation and through the power of the Holy Spirit, has already literally given you the only tools you need to properly and truly worship the Lord. There is nothing that he's holding back. He has already equipped it. So my hope and my prayer is just that we can uncover those things tonight. Maybe dig in a little bit deeper so that you're walking around more confidently in what he's already given you and what he's already promised. With that being said, I'm going to start with the saddest scripture of all time. Uh, um, I don't know, this one's so sad to me It's in Matthew 15, 8, 9 is the reference It'll be up on the screen But um, it's actually in the Bible three times It's initially referenced in Isaiah And then Jesus refers He refers back to it When he's dealing with the Pharisees and all their mess And it's reported in two of the Gospels So I feel like if the Spirit breathed Word of God has it in there three times There's probably a reason, would you agree? So the most heartbreaking Scripture of all time These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands for God. I think what's so sad about that 
is that these were the people that claimed to be his. And they were doing something actively, believing. I imagine these weren't all bad intentions, right? They thought they were doing something good. They thought they were doing something that was pleasing. And not only was it not pleasing, it was hurtful. Do you hear the hurt of them? But their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. The fakeness of it all was more hurtful to the Lord than it was if they had done nothing in the first place. And I think that's a really sombering thought when we really start digging in and taking those next steps into what are we bringing to the Lord? And right out of the gate, I want you to know that I, I don't believe there's anybody that just has some like great personal strength in worship, okay? I don't think it's just a something that like, well, you're a worshiper and you're not, right? Like I sing, music is a big part of my life. Um, I halfway strum this guitar up here on Sundays. Um, music, it's a part of my testimony for those of you guys who heard generations of both sides and it is a dream and a gift that I carry as humbly as humanly possible to know that I get to serve the kingdom in that way. It's a big dang deal and it has nothing to do with the heart of worship. Not a bit of it. It has absolutely nothing to do with it. Because the thing is, is that my offering to the Lord is just as likely to scooch on over into a self-selfing flesh as it is for anybody else. We have to keep an eye out for those things. In my flesh, let me tell you who I am. The last to linger. The first to be distracted the first to look around, the first to get in my head about something, the first to be like, well, Lord's not moving, so I'm just gonna take it from here and see what we can figure out. And you know what? He loves me. There's grace to cover that. It's gonna be great. (laughs) But honestly, y'all, what a tragedy would it be if we're getting in here and we're gathering together week after week after week, or we're living these lives year after year, day after day, week after week, and the name of the Lord is on our lips and our hearts are far from him. Let it not be us that the Lord has to grieve our worship. So we're gonna pray and then we're gonna dive into some more hopeful scriptures. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. God, thank you so much for your grace. God, for your mercy, for your truth. God, that you are constant. God, that you are constant and true and as beautiful and dependable as the rising sun. Father, you are everything we have ever needed. God, I know that you have called up true worshipers, that you are actively seeking them even now. Those of us who would be true worshipers and worship you in spirit and in truth, tonight is not the first time that you have initiated an encounter with a daughter to lay out and make the call and the invitation to be true worshipers of your name. So Father, I just ask that every word, God, that it's breathed by the Holy Spirit, knock me off this platform if I start talking from my own brain. And God, I just pray for every woman here. Father, that these words would land on softened hearts and open ears. And God, you will reveal things even now in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Who's shocked that we're talking about the Samaritan woman? Nobody. All right. So um, 
I had the choice here to basically read you an entire chapter of scripture or go like Bible stories with Becca style. So <laughs> you drew the short end of the stick and we are going Bible stories with Becca style. Um, so this is basically the story where Jesus first reveals himself as Messiah. And I kind of think about it in four quadrants, right? Like Jesus initiates this encounter in the first place. There's all this history out there that most people, if they were on their way to Galilee, would have taken the long way around to avoid Samaria because there was such tension and dissension between the Samaritans and the Jews at that time. But not Jesus. Jesus was going to Galilee and he was making a stop in Samaria. He's hot, he's tired, he sits down, he's there in the middle of the day when no woman in her right mind would be at the well because they normally went earlier in the day and he sits and he waits. And the Samaritan woman comes with her little well drawing supplies and he initiates this conversation. And he says, so beautifully, will you give me a drink? He initiates that conversation with her implying that she has something of value to give him in the first place. So he initiates and he puts himself in this lowly position of need, the king of the universe, calling out inherent value in her and in something she could offer. And then naturally he offers, because that's what Jesus does. He offers living water. And she's like, yeah, okay, where's your bucket? And he's like, um, it's a fresh bubbling spring of water that will never dry up and give you eternal life. And she's like, uh-huh, yeah, sounds great. I'm on board, man, whatever. I don't wanna come to this well and talk to weirdos anymore anyway. And so he then offers literally like eternal life in the Holy Spirit through this encounter that she just doesn't get. And then Jesus moves on to the revealing part. She says, yeah, I'm good, I'm ready for that water. And he says, where's your husband? And it's not really hard for me to imagine maybe the visceral response that came. She didn't wanna to talk to this guy in the first place. She was just minding her own business, going out at the time when she didn't have to deal with people's judgment and people's questions. And finally, there's somebody who's nice to her and is maybe gonna give her something that's gonna help her way out of this hell hole of her life. And he asks where her husband is. And she has to say, I don't have a husband. And he says, yeah, I know you've had five. And that man you're living with now, he's not your husband either. <laughs> not great, not a great day at the well. <laughs> so as any of us would do, like captain defensiveness takes over and it's like, oh, so you're a prophet. Why do you guys worship in Jerusalem? And why do you have such a problem with us worshiping here on this mountain? And um, he's like, you know what? It doesn't even matter. And then we're gonna come back to this part. He's like, you Samaritans don't know anything about the one that you worship. Well, it's just going great. <laughs> so then we move on and he basically gives her the invitation to be a true worshiper. He brings up all this stuff about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And I think she's half understanding but half not, but then she just kind of delays the whole thing. And she's like, you know what? The Messiah's coming. I'll just wait on him to explain it to me. <laughs> it's my favorite. And he's like, I am he, the one who speaks. <laughs> I moved right on over to the ESV version for that part because it's just way cooler there. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So by the end of this encounter, truthfully, he has offered her spirit and truth. He has offered her the ingredients, if we will, that we need to become true worshipers. So my whole heart for tonight is that I believe that encounter then is every bit as present and real for us today. 
I don't think that it is um, an accident that the way that this is recorded and the way that it was done, it was a woman in a well. I'm sure the Lord loves all of our worship, but I know there's a tenderness to his daughters. There would have to be. So, John 4, 23 through 24, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So that leads us to two kind of things we have to talk about here. The first one, spirit, which is super, super, super easy to explain. It's not super easy to explain. Um, so um, Michael and I are not the only ones leading worship in our family now. Our two kids have like started leading with Cultivate Students, which is really cool and really terrifying, if I'm going to tell you. I mean, just truly terrifying. Um, when Violet went through Grow, they didn't even talk to me about it. Michael was just like, yeah, she signed it up for Grow. And I'm like, she will sing King of Kings. It's the entire New Testament in a song. And if she can memorize it, I will allow it. Uh, because it's holy, man. You just really want to make sure that they're ready. But what that has done is it's provided some really awesome conversations in our house about, well, what, what do you need to be looking for when you're preparing for a song to lead or when you're preparing to sing a song? And so guess what? We talk a lot about spirit and truth. And luckily for you, I've been trying to explain this to 15 and 12-year-olds for a minute, <laughs> but I think spirit is one of those things that you better explain by figuring out what it's not, right? Like, it's a lot easier to tell you what dark is if I can just say the absence of light. It's a lot easier for me to tell somebody what, um, what hate is with the absence of love or light and dark, day and night, you get it, right? Well, we have a lot of scripture here that talks about spirit and flesh. And so the first one we're looking at is Galatians 5.17. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. Does that not sound like your life? <laughs> I am trying. I think Paul talks about it a lot. It's getting in my way. So that tells me right there that, okay, what spirit is, it's, it's not what flesh is. It's not what I'm bringing to the table there. And so this word here is... Oh, I'm real bad at saying the original text words, but we'll just say it basically means mere human nature. We keep on moving through Galatians. Oh, this verse, Galatians 3, 2 through 4. It's also up on the screen, I think. I sent, again, the whole Bible. Um, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? And here it is. After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect in your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it wasn't in vain, was it? I mean, it's so sad. <laughs> it's so sad how he asks it. And then again in Philippians 3.3, 3, for we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. One day I'm gonna speak at she and not have to bring up circumcision, but today is not that day. For, so we'll just move on. That basically means set apart, but for we who worship by the spirit of God, put no confidence in human effort. We who worship by the spirit of God, put no confidence in human effort. It's starting to become clearer, isn't it? There is no place 
for our flesh in worship. And y'all, we carry this around all day, every day, and it is heavy and it is weighty and we throw it off and it's like trying to flick, flipping slime off your hand all day long. It's exhausting. My favorite um, definition for what the flesh is, and what a gross word too, by the way, okay. (laughs) The flesh, this is a John Piper um, definition. The flesh is the ego which feels an emptiness and uses the resources in its own power to try to fill it. Pretty dead on, Mr. Piper. Um, We recognize emptiness in ourselves and instead of leaning in closer, we start scurrying within us to figure out what we can do to fill it all up. It sounds a lot like striving, a lot like striving. So I want you to take just a second to reflect on this. Think about corporate worship. Where are we striving in our corporate worship? Where are we leaning in to feeling emptiness and trying to fill it with something? Think about it in your personal worship, in your serve, in your walk, in your prayer. Worshiping in spirit means we have to stop striving. One of like my, I guess, life verses, if you will, that I have not really been able to nail down well is um, Psalm 4610. And it actually has the word, I'm trying here, Rafa, but I think there's like a in there somewhere. And it literally means to cease striving. Convenient, huh? To cease striving. You know that verse is, be still and know that I am God. Cease striving. Just stop already and know that I am God. We see another word called, we're trying again, kava, which echoes the same thing. It actually means to linger for. Wait patiently for the Lord, be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. That's Psalm 27, 14. And the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. That's in Lamentations. It's pretty cheery for Lamentations. Um, So we see this hopeful lingering, right? Both of these are a hopeful wait. It's not like a, I'm waiting on my kids who have maybe 10 minutes late wait. It's not like a, the doctor's appointment was 20 minutes ago and when are they ever gonna call me back wait? No, it's like an expectant wait. It's like a, when is the bride coming down the aisle? Cause I'm so here for seeing her, right? Um, It's this hopeful expectant wait, this kava, this linger. And so basically what scripture shows us right here is that worshiping in spirit and in truth is quite literally to be still and hopefully wait on the Lord. That's the worshiping in spirit part. Just be still, stop striving and wait for the Lord expectantly. It's like a hopeful rest, if you will. So there's a whole second part to this, right? The worshiping in truth. And, It's real convenient here because you think about the truth and it means all kinds of things in the world that we live in, but pretty clear in the Bible, John 14, six, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. That is just about as direct as it comes. And it's straight from the words of Jesus. Now, Jesus spent a whole lot of his ministry, like full on fighting Pharisees who, can you imagine how annoying that must've been by the way? Like I was there. I was literally there at the beginning of time. It was, yes, John, tell me more, right? Like so annoying. 
ha! So he fights with them all the time about, well, we have to do this, and the rule says this, and here's the law here, and if you, you are terrible, you pagan man, Jesus, and all of the horrible things that they called him. And finally one day, this is my favorite, it's in John 6, he says, this is the only work God wants from you. Like, let me simplify it for you, buddy. One job, one. Believe in the one he sent. That's your job. That's your strive, okay? If we've got to be working and spinning our wheels for something, that's the work. Believe in the one he sent. All right, here's my favorite part. Are you guys ready for a sister fight? I love a sister fight, um, except in my house. Hate a sister fight in my house, but I love a sister fight. Like the Kardashians made a whole career out of it. It's really fun. So we are rolling right on into Mary and Martha. And you, are, you already know which one you are. I felt it. You already, it's me. Um, yeah, that was Martha, by the way, you. Um, <laughs> so you already know who you are. So, you know, you guys know this story, Mary and Martha, or well, Jesus is around, Martha is running around like a crazy person trying to get everything prepared and just right and do all the things because she loves the Lord and she wants to honor him with excellence, make sure that everything's prepared. And every time she walks by stupid Mary, she is sitting there on the floor like, doughy-eyed and not moving. And she is over it. It says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. And so Martha's like, this is the time. Jesus himself is here. Opportune, let's clear this up moment. He can finally see what I've been dealing with. And so he goes, she goes to Jesus and she's like, hello, are you gonna do something about Mary over there? And this one will make me cry too. He says, there is only one thing worth being concerned about, one. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken from her. How sweet is that? One thing. And again, what is it? What's the thing? Well, it's right there. Mary sat at the Lord's feet. She was still. She wasn't striving. And she listened to what he taught. She hung on every word. Jesus says somewhere else, pay close attention to how you listen. He tells us to reflect on it. I don't remember what verse it is. I've read a lot of scripture. <laughs> but he says, pay close attention to how you listen. Mary clearly did it right. She hung on those words. She believed he was Messiah. So she lingered and she hopefully expected the truth of the Messiah to fill her soul. He said she figured, she figured out the only thing, the only thing we need to be concerned about. And he sure wasn't going to be the one to take it away. So what that tells me is that to worship in spirit and truth is to, rest, is to just rest expectantly in the full assurance of who Jesus is, of who he is and what he's done, of Christ, Christ crucified and Christ resurrected and Christ is Lord, just to rest in that expectantly. Now, I am married to the most one on the Enneagram man that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. And like a good little wife, I was trying to like bounce this message off of him and like feel it out a little bit. I'm like, well, this is what I'm thinking in spirit and truth. And he's like, well, are you gonna like tell them anything to do? Because I can just see how this would be very discouraging to be like, just rest. <laughs> I won't be talking to you anymore about the message, except, no, I kid, except guess what guys, you got four R's, you can write these down, they're extra. 
Worshiping in spirit and truth, it really is resting. There it is. It really is resting expectantly. And then the rest of the three things, y'all, it's just good practices for building our faith. It's also a lot of the things that you're gonna see anytime you walk in these doors for corporate worship. Remember his goodness. Remember it. Think about the songs that you love. A lot of these are recounting his goodness, right? Are they challenging you to remember his goodness? I say all the time, guys, just find, like, find a highlight reel of the things you're thankful for and the times that God showed up when we sing goodness of God. I mean it. Like, find the highlight reel. Is it your sweet, snuggly puppy that got you through the day? Is it ice cream? <laughs> Is it that your kids went to bed? Is it that they are more than you ever dreamt or imagined? Is it the job that you never thought you could have? What is it? What is this goodness? Whatever it is, you better remember it. Then we've got reflect on his promises. Y'all, I have no idea how many promises are in the Bible. I feel like Brandon Doss is gonna yell out a number real quick. Uh, (laughs) I have no idea how many promises are listed in the Bible, but I know that it's a lot. And I know that it would probably take a full lifetime to properly reflect and remember them all. So we we do that too, right? A lot of these worship songs, we're either like challenging people to remember his goodness or declaring goodness of old, or we're reflecting or declaring or praising about the promises he's already made. Um, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen ascends to God for his glory. He means it. That is like, yes and amen. Like maybe those promises technically will get covered. No, it is a resounding yes and amen. And then last but not least to build our faith, we've got to recite the word of God. Not just read it. I mean, yeah, we got to read it too, but recite it, say it out loud, get it in your bones. One thing that I think is just, um, I do miss in our culture now as compared to like the world Jesus grew up in, right? Is that they were always, that song of ascent, which is oh the best worship song in America, that song of ascent, that's literally straight from the Psalms because they all memorized them and they knew these songs and they said them and they marked all that stuff on doorposts and they knew it inside and out from the, they, the time they came out of the womb. They knew the word of God. If we're gonna build our faith, we've gotta know the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So here's the thing about truth, is that we can know it, but it can also get lost in the weeds, right? There's whole parables about that too. And I think that's what happened, I don't think, that is what happened with the Samaritan culture. There was some truth there. That's why there was so much dissension. So I'm gonna give you a little bit more of a backstory here from 2 Kings. But Israel was in the promised land and they did not keep the covenant, shocker. And um, this is the verse where it says they worshiped worthless idols. So they became worthless themselves. That's a whole nother message. They followed the examples of the nations around them disobeying the Lord's command not to imitate them. So because of that, Israel was exiled. They get the boot from the promised land. The Lord took it really seriously. And the king of Assyria starts plugging in all these different non-believing pagan nations to fill in the promised land. So that now, what used to be the promised land, Samaria was now all this little hodgepodge of people, none of them who love the Lord. Do you guys know what happened next? A bunch of lions started eating people. Read the Bible, it's fun. A bunch of lions literally start gobbling people up. And some uh, prophet's like, 
yeah, the Lord's kind of serious about the promised land. You're going to have to teach somebody how to worship them or people are going to keep getting eaten by lions. And so the king of Assyria is like, okay, we'll send, a, we'll send somebody in and he'll teach them how to worship properly. And so they did. And the Bible says, and though they worshiped to the Lord, they continued to follow their own gods too, according to the religious customs of the nations from which they came. And this is still going on today. They continue to follow their former practices instead of truly worshiping the Lord. So I used to get my feelings hurt a little bit when I read the part of the story where Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him. Because that was the tone I read it in. That's what I, I was like, God, Jesus, it's not her fault she's a Samaritan. If anybody's fault, it's your fault. You made her, you put her there. Why are you gonna rub it in her face like that? She's already so sad. Like literally for years, it bothered me. But now can't you see the kindness and the gentleness in it? Jesus wasn't judging her for it. He was explaining the reality of her situation. He was revealing why she couldn't worship in spirit and truth yet. Because she didn't have the whole truth yet because he hadn't come yet to have this beautiful encounter in this moment with her that had been orchestrated from the beginning of time. And y'all, I think for so many of us here in the Bible Belt of Alabama, we really sure we know all we need to know about our faith. But the truth is, it's not a what, it's a who. Either we know Jesus or we don't. Either he's transformed our lives or he hasn't. Either we're walking by the promised power of the Holy Spirit and we have an option at least to not strive or we're not. As he so beautifully and gently revealed that to the Samaritan woman, I wonder what he would reveal to us tonight. Because I think so much the parallel. He initiated that moment at the well. He's orchestrated this moment for us here tonight. He called out inherent value in her and asked for something. And y'all, he sees inherent value in every single one of us here too. If we let him, he'll reveal the reality of our situation. He'll point out the things that we're lacking and be happy to fill them. He'll be happy to point out the thing, the sin, the something that's keeping you from the presence of God. He'll be happy to gently and humbly and lovingly call it out to give you an option to walk away. Even now he offers salvation in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the fresh bubbling spring that lives within you. And y'all, he equipped her just like he equips us with everything we need to answer the call to be true worshipers of God. The Samaritan woman had to fight through a few things before she decided to run off and say, hey guys, come meet the guy who's probably the Messiah. He told me everything I ever did. She had to work through some doubt first. And I have no doubt that there's doubt we have to walk through. The prayer team's about to be stationed all throughout the room. They can come on down, go to the back of the room or come up here. You guys can close your eyes if you will. But the thing is, she only knew what she knew. So I wonder if there's any doubt you need to work through, that you need to lay down and choose to believe. It's the one job. It's the one thing that we can do.
she also had to overcome defensiveness. It doesn't feel good to have your stuff pointed out, no matter how kindly it's done, it hurts. And we can lay down and receive the healing that we've been kicking and fighting and screaming against. Or we can defend it for one more day. The last thing she had to overcome was delay. Jesus Christ himself was right there offering everything she needed. And she said, you know what? I think I'm gonna wait on the Messiah. I think a lot of times we delay the things that the Lord is so clear that the time is now for. And don't let us be so goofy to be like, we're gonna wait on something else when he's right here. God, thank you for tonight, for your presence, for your Holy Spirit and for the pursuit of your daughters. Jesus, first for those of us who are ready to believe, to believe that you are who you say you are and you can do the things that you say you're gonna do. God, we bless your name for their timely response. We believe this salvation prayer, God, that because you loved us so much, you came and lived a fully human life and a fully God life and you willingly laid it down and were crucified on the cross and raised back up after three days by the power of God to defeat hell for our freedom. And God, we believe it, we accept it, and we receive it right now in Jesus' name. For the rest of us, for all the women here who have placed their faith in you, God, I just pray you stir up a desire to be true worshipers that you will look down at this place and you will see a body of true worshipers. God, that every time we recognize that emptiness in us, God, that you would help us through the power of the Holy Spirit resist the urge to fill it and simply wait on you because we have the faith to know you will and can and willing and want to do the work in our lives. God, strengthen our hearts and our minds tonight. Amen. And now, dear women, this is Hebrews, but I don't know who wrote it. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have been made clean by Christ's blood. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. There is nothing that can separate you from God's presence here. Amen. Thanks for listening today. We hope you feel encouraged and stronger in your faith because of these conversations. We love our community of women and would love to see it grow. Can you do us a favor and share the podcast with one friend today that you know would love it? And if you're feeling a little extra sparkle today, give us a quick rating and review. Have a great rest of your day. And until next time, keep keep growing. growing.